Hello, I'm Matthew Kressel. The episode of Stories from the Vortex you're about to hear was recorded before the announcement of the sad passing of actress Maggie Stables, best known to Big Finish listeners for her role as Six Doctor companion Evelyn Smythe. We'd like to dedicate the episode you're about to hear to her memory. Welcome to Stories from the Vortex. I'm Matthew Kressel, and I'm once again joined by the often contrary Mary Lang. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and uh, apologies on our last episode being out a little bit late. I do promise there's a very good reason, which I'll talk about later in the episode. But for the moment, we are here to talk about the new adventures of Bernie Summerfield, returning us firmly to Doctor Who territory after last episode's little divergence into the world of Terry Nation survivors. And I think, I don't know about you, Mary, but I'm a little bit happy to be back in something a little less depressing. Oh, yeah, me too. And this is far from depressing. Oh, indeed. Uh, this is a big box set released early back in June by Big Finish. It's made up of four individual stories with a fifth disc of extras. And of course, it reunites the seventh Doctor and Ace with Bernie Summerfield, who we talked about just a few episodes ago when we did our episode of Sidesteps in the Virgin Territory, which, ironically enough, actually marked this release. So, without further ado, here's a trailer. Look, everyone! Bernie Summerfield and the Doctor! Hello! Hello. Oh, no! Oh! I'm Professor Bernie Summerfield. Although since we're amongst friends and since we've already cut to first names, uh, Benny is fine and Benny will do. Benny, I'm very glad to meet you. Oh, okay. I've got a handshake, Aaron. <laughs> You're quite the nicest ghost I've met so far. Doctor, what are you doing? Escaping. From what? I've got a clue. Look out! Ah! Oh, sorry. You've blown up the whole room. What kind of an archaeologist are you? What have you done? It's a very long story. It'll take a while to explain. Have you stolen any priceless artifacts? In a sense. Violated the local culture? Sort of. Desecrated anything sacred? I suppose you could say that. There you go. It didn't take too long to explain it all. If there's one thing Benny can't resist... It's a mysterious city. Attention! This is not a miracle. We repeat, this is not a miracle. We stop it. We save them. No matter how impossible, we try. Isn't that what the doctor would do? The ghosts are getting close. If you're going to do it, you need to do it now. You shouldn't trust anybody. I'm not. Hello, little people. Saviour. Robots, surround them. Point your guns at all of them, particularly the woman. What's the point of the doctor without a plan and a TARDIS? The doctor without a plan and a TARDIS is just an annoying man in a hat. Oh, yes, I can see I'm going to be extremely ingenious this time. Power is life. Power is knowledge. In the wrong hands, power's a bad thing. Not mine, though. Power is strength. Power. Do not fight in here. Obey your emperor. Let's work out how to defeat the Daleks, then have the row on the way home. Once more, the lights of Scarrow blaze out across the universe and 
they shall never again be extinguished! Run! Good idea! Just like old times. Furious with you. As I said, happy days. Stop this! Please! What you're doing is against all the laws of time! Oh, no, not the web of time, Doctor. I've had a very hard day. Don't worry about him. He was a terrible mistake. No sense of adventure. Not like you. Exterminate! 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 Even ghosts grow old. Don't! Come after me, whoever you are. This is goodbye. Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. And the first story of the set is The Revolution by Nev Fountain. Now, for those who know Nev Fountain's writing, not just from Big Finish, but also his work on the excellent Radio 4 comedy series Dead Ringers, it will probably come as no surprise that The Revolution is just a tad bit of a comedy. Um, It also turns one of the oldest Doctor Who and science fiction cliches on its head. We're certainly aware in Doctor Who stories like the Rebos Operation and particularly science fiction stories in general of uh, religions that are, shall we say, rather dogmatic in their views. But imagine instead an entire planet where science is literally the rule of law and trying to hold up anything but science can land you in a heap of trouble. And that is the situation that Bernice Summerfield finds herself in at the start of this story, and that the Seventh Doctor happens to find himself in as well. This particular episode um, in this four-box set is such a joy. Um, Listening to Lisa Bowerman and Sylvester McCoy going at one another, shouting um, at one another, and running from danger and coming up with plans all the time, this rapid-fire exchange is such a joy to listen to. I must have listened to this particular um, episode, oh, three times, just because I would be laughing and I would miss things that they would say. It, it was too wonderful. Yes, and the comedic... We don't often... McCoy's Doctor, I think, has a bit of a reputation from those early TV stories of being a bit comedic. But I know myself, anyway, I tend to think of him more as the, as the darker, more serious, manipulative Doctor mm-hmm. with those sort of hints in there. But to have the chance to actually hear him do, along with Lisa Bowerman, a full-on comedy... Oh, yes. ...is absolutely wonderful. And also because it's actually very well-written. Something Neff Fountain talks about in the CD of Extras on this release is the fact that the mistakes that people often make in comedy is that they think it's just a series of jokes. If your jokes don't have any meaning or context, it doesn't work. Big problem with comedy, I think. And I think it's why something like, for me, Bang Bang a Boom, that was an earlier attempt to do a McCoy's comedy story. It was done in the main range, I think, around 2002. Absolutely fell flat for me as a result. Not for me at all. That's one of my favorites. It just felt like a parody of, you know, Deep Space Nine and everything else. It just didn't work for me. And also the fact that it wasn't very funny, at least as far as I was concerned. And I found it to be wonderfully funny. (laughs) So here I am, contrary. Mm, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. (laughs) But at least we agree on revolution. Oh, we do. We do. And I mean, the lines come so, they come rapid fire. But every one of them is quotable when uh, Bernice turns on the doctor and says, you're a man without a plan or a TARDIS. You're just an annoying man in a hat. Yes. You know, and it just made me howl. It was so funny because in the exchange they're having, he is very annoying. (laughs) There's a sequence at one point when they're trying to escape and they end up in, I guess, a spaceport. Mm -hmm. It's only discovered they can't get away. 
and they're surrounded by a couple of robots who are trying to kill her for what she's done. Which actually, that's an interesting moment earlier in the thing when he's like, "What's we're being chased by a couple of robots. And she goes, yeah, that's my fault this time. It is? Yeah, it'd take too long to explain. And he goes off on a very quick set of questions, which she answers, yes, maybe, kind of. It's like, see, it didn't take too long at all. Um, But at one point, it's the only place I can imagine that Schrodinger's cat can end up being used as a comedy gag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and actually, the thing is, even though it's a full-out comedy, and I think it's very easy to look at it as a full-out comedy, um, the plotting in it is actually quite intricate. Yes, yes, Um, it's a very solid plot. There's a, a very random moment towards the beginning of it. That just see it seems like a random moment. Perhaps uh, Bernice, who's had maybe a little bit to drink, you know, not quite focusing on something, that suddenly turns out to be incredibly significant later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is that's really kind of cool plotting. And of course, as we mentioned, the whole thing is sitting there on a planet where science is literally the law. And all of a sudden, these strange miracle-like things happening. And it's kind of like, you know, I love there's a moment in it when frogs are raining from the sky. And, you know, there's somebody arrested for for proclaiming it to be a miracle. And there's a voice that comes over a loudspeaker, like you expect police at a riot or something that goes, you know, instead of saying that order will be restored, it's like, a rational explanation will shortly be forthcoming. Oh, my gosh, yes, that is so funny. <laughs> And there's an Inquisitor character who's attempting to figure everything out. And, oh, oh, and he just kind of goes nuts at the end when it's revealed that, you know, when, you know, there's this big reveal at the end. And he just about, it's like you can hear him on on the story just losing his mind over all this. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the recording studio to listen to uh, Lisa and Sylvester do their, their parts. Yes, because I'll, they are having the best time and I would love to have watched them do it. Oh, and there is a, a, a usual Doctor Who actress playing a different character that as soon as I heard the voice, I thought, oh, is that who I think it is? And it does turn out to be her, but she plays an entirely different part in this story. Yeah, I thought that was um, her as well, and I kept wondering. It wasn't until I got home and could look at the cast list of the episode. <laughs> yeah, too, and I could get to my computer and look it up. <laughs> yes, which given that um, this particular actress and Ned Fountain are a couple, shouldn't have come to us as any surprise whatsoever. <laughs> but it was it's like not the kind of thing you expect, and also a chance to hear her do comedy, which was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, she was good at it. So... Right. Because the plotting in this episode is so solid that when things come to a very sobering conclusion at the end, it's something that takes you a little bit by surprise, but it sets up the next three. Yes, very well. I mean, this is a, this is a, how you kick off a box set. Mm-hmm. You, do, you do it with a very, very strong story, and then you can do anything you want, provided it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know when we reviewed Dark Eyes 2, that was my problem with Dark Eyes 2, that, you know, that it started off in one direction and then completely went bananas after that point. At least, yeah, yeah. At least in my opinion. It was not cohesively yeah. imagined or put together. Yeah. yeah, which even though that the stories as they go along are going to get far more serious, I think that this was the best way of starting out this box set. I totally agree, Yes. So, and if you don't, if for some reason you don't get to any more of the box set, 
Uh, but this this opening story, it really is, in my opinion, all you really have to hear. <laughs> I think that, you know, this is a the box set is not cheap, but I think that this story alone is worth the price of admission. Right, right. I totally agree. It's so, my favorite part of, of the four stories. Yes. And with that, uh, the ending of that is, uh, you say, Mary, leads us into the second story, which is uh, Good Night, Sweet Ladies by Una McCormick. Do mm-hmm. I actually know more from her work on various Star Trek books than I know from uh, doing audio stuff for Doctor Who, but apparently she has done some things for Big Finish. And this is a completely different story from Revolution. Completely different. This is not only, I think it, it, I think we can safely say that it is very much Bernice on her own in this one. Yeah, yeah. And, and the tone is, is totally different. It's more thoughtful and slow moving. But I did not necessarily to put it down for being those things. Though. No, no. It's solidly constructed. Yeah. Um, it's my least favorite of the three for reasons that the ending of it, you know, um, the ending of it is very hard to listen to. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, have to, I love the ending of it, though. And it, it's interesting in that here is a story in the middle of a box set that to a certain extent takes Betty back to her roots in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see her as the archaeologist, for one thing, mm-hmm. um, which is something I think we don't often get the chance to. And I think it's very interesting that, you know, we reviewed Love and War when this when this box set came out as a way of marking the occasion. And I think that it's kind of important for you to have heard Love and War before you hear this story to get something that's going on in it. But I don't think you need to hear Love and War to understand, for someone like yourself who caught the reference right off, yeah, the reference is eventually open, you know, totally discussed so that you know why it, it was important. Yeah, and I think that this story is also important because this is the bridge, literally, I think, between the between revolution and what's going to happen in the next two stories in the box set. Mm-hmm. that what happens in this story and what is found in this story and who they find in this story is going to set up everything that's going to kind of happen afterwards, which is the big, kind of the big important thing. Well, and it's no secret that in the first story, it is stated that the Doctor has lost track of Ace and he's trying to find her. Yeah. And so the next three stories are... Bernice in pursuit of Ace. Uh, she finds clues along the way. She finds a very major clue in this one. Yeah, but it's a clue that in a way also dry, sort of drags up a part of her past. Mm-hmm. Right. Which leads to, I think, a big kind of emotional moment towards the end. Yeah, and that's the part that I had the hard time with. Why did you have a hard time with it? Was oh, it- Hard because it's good. Hard yeah. because it made me, uh, you know, have to stop and feel for what Bernice was going through at the end. Yeah, just hard for that. No, no, it's not a bad thing. Okay, that was that was what I was asking. (laughs) They do do it so effectively. Yeah, because I think it's it's it's, as we've been saying, it's a story that literally takes her back to her roots in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. And it does it in such a good way. Yeah, and of course, is anybody who's um, heard the trailer or seen the cover art for the box set will know there's Daleks in this set, mm-hmm. and we get the kind of unexpected first appearance of one here. And Bernice's cleverness in trying to battle them and trying to convince others around her 
how uh, how invincible they are. Um, you know, she must say, uh, you know, several times if she says it once, you can't kill a Dalek. <laughs> it's like nobody around me really grasps how uh, how hard they are to kill. Well, you end up with it. Is it Stephen Day who's sort of her companion for this one episode? Yeah. Who's you know the poor guy is clearly so far outside of his comfort zone. It's not even funny. Yeah. Uh, it's like was he on a space liner that just happened to crash and he was the only survivor i mean you know what is he doing here yeah um yeah. which that is incredible which that's a lot of fun as well and actually him being there actually ramps up some of the tension but i think that actually the really interesting thing there is the fact that you know it's it, it's sort of she becomes the seventh doctor in a way because here she is that's... dragging somebody else she does literally yeah. into the labyrinth she clings to this um, Stephen Day, thinking he's going to help her and protect her, um, when all the time she's the one coming up with all the good ideas and being the aggressive one, while she's literally dragging him around. Yes. Uh, and then she comes to that realization about how she really doesn't need him. Yeah. She's become the doctor. Yeah, in a big way. I mean, it's it's something about this box set, which is either going to surprise you or disappoint you depending on your point of view and how much you're expecting is that I think that this is very much, there's a reason why this is called the new adventures of Ernie Summerfield. I think it's very much a Betty centric box set. I think that, you know, in the respects that something that's often said about the assassination game, which we reviewed a while back is that it felt like it was a countermeasure story with the seventh doctor and ace, you know, guest story, which I disagree with. Hmm. Um, as as you might recall, those who listen to the episode might recall. I feel that that's probably more true to say about this box set on the whole, particularly in this second episode where neither one of them really shows up at all for that matter. Oh, I think Ace does briefly. Well, they both show up briefly. When it, you know, it's more like they have cameos in, in the second one. Right, right, yeah. The Doctor is much more prominent in the first story. Yeah. I don't think we hear from Ace at all in the first story. Not at all. We, we only begin to hear from her in the second story, but like you say, um, you know, more as cameo. Yeah, it's sort of a fleeting thing, which eventually, you know, sets up or where we're going, where Bernice and the listener is going in the third story, Random Ghosts. But by, I think it's good. Yeah. Just as we, uh, we were saying you know, what a great introduction that first story was. For those that are a little uncertain about who is this Bernice Summerfield and, you know, is she anybody worth listening to? Because you've got the doctor that draws you in in the first one. Yeah. You get to know Bernice and, and enjoy her and then you're willing to follow her through the next few stories. Yeah. I've wondered that as well based on some comments some people has made. And, I, you know, and I, I try not to be cynical about things. Yeah. Um, but I have noticed some people have commented that the Bernie Summerfield releases in, in recent times haven't been selling very well. So maybe it's, it's as much a marketing thing as a story thing to want to go do a box set that takes her back to the Doctor Who universe yeah. with the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say, if it is, in fact, it's nothing more than a cynical publicity stunt and marketing thing. I think it's a bloody good one. Well, yes, it is. Um, especially, I think, when you get into the back half of this box set. Random ghosts. Oh, good lord. <laughs> oh, talk about creative story writing. Talk about creative story writing. <laughs> for those, in the new series is often, particularly under Stephen Moffat, criticized for its sort of non-linear storytelling. 
And we fussed about it in terms, or at least I fussed about it in terms of Dark Eyes too, because it meant, you know, it lacked cohesion largely because of the way it was told. Imagine a story where for a full hour you listen to it completely out of sequence. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and it's not even the characters themselves that are telling you the story. It is their recorded voices that you're hearing out of sync. Yeah. It's the idea of, I, I like the idea of this kind of this cloud network thing that exists outside the rest of the universe. Yeah. That's recording all this. And what you're getting is way out of order and sometimes multiple versions of. Yeah. People meeting each other for the first time, the messages they leave for one another, the sometimes hilarious results <laughs> of coming out of that, and sometimes some of them utterly heartbreaking results mm -hmm. that yeah. come out of that. They are trapped on a planet where time is broken, um, where they're they're all living in, in something of a time loop. They wake up every day not knowing or what are reliving events. Yeah. The only way they can keep track of events so they're not constantly repeating them is to record what it is they're going through. Yeah. And, and so the first thing they have to do each day is listen to their tape that they made the day before. And of course, they creatively edit their tapes. They, they get rid of what they don't want to remember. Yeah. And so on. And so that's what we're getting is this jumble of everybody's memory tapes yeah there's a mention somewhere that the video stuff is also using this kind of self-editing software because it's all supposed to be part of a documentary thing it's look self-editing looking for themes and whatnot so you'll suddenly somebody will be talking about one thing then you'll jump to where something else is going or the complete opposite thing has happened mm -hmm. as i said it's a really interesting way to tell a story it can be completely baffling at times the, uh, the best comparison that I encountered as to what this is like is uh, what were, there was a movie about people who were taping themselves about ghost appearances. Oh, Blair Witch Project? Blair Witch Project, that was it. And the whole movie is made up of the videotapes that individuals were making. Right. So you get a very piecemeal story. And I will say, I had to listen to this three times through, concentrating very hard to finally get the thread of what was happening, you know, trying, getting the progression of real events. Yeah. I think, I think there is a story there. There you know, is. Without a doubt. And I think it becomes clearer as it goes along. But the, the stuff in the meantime, I mean, there's some big character stuff going on here. Mm -hmm. um, Ace finally comes into the fore, really. And it, that's what I think things start getting really interesting. Uh, but also the fact that they meet these kind of group of people who are trapped in it. And Bernice ends up in something of a relationship with this one guy. And the, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, the, the sense almost in the story is that we all have our secrets. And that we all, you know, we're all, the, there's an old thing in writing that everybody is the hero of their own story. That part of what people do when they do their memoirs or they write an autobiography is they try to enforce a narrative onto their life with them as a hero. And I think that seems very much to be what's happening here in this story is that you will have you'll have Bernice, or you'll have Ace, or you'll have somebody else will literally go in and just delete entries on their cameras, trying to shape a narrative so that when they wake up the next day, that when they have no memory of it, they'll have a version of things they want to remember. But it also means that in a Groundhog Day kind of way, you can do things over and over again. 
there's Bernice's introduction to Kleinus, for example, which you hear four or five different versions of. Yes. And it's like almost that they're trying, because Kleinus is aware of what to, aware of the fact that things didn't work out last time, he keeps changing it mm. uh, time after time after time. And in fact, he actually drops a big clue about what we're going to find out about him later, very early on. Yes. Um, in the process of doing that. But I think it's a really, it's as much as it is a jumble of timelines and things that people would prefer to forget or the things that people would prefer to remember. There, it's, a, it's almost a big character story in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And I think it's one of the things I think really makes it worth listening. But I think also the fact that when you get to the end of it, and they're working towards this goal, trying to get into this city. And they eventually get there and discover that, in fact, they're not, they're not safe whatsoever. Uh, which I think is a very good lead-in to what eventually will happen in the last story. But the thing is, is that they talk about on the extras is that, and I'm going to mention this, presuming that most people have heard it, that, and I know this was the case with me as well, there are a lot of clues being set up about what this planet they're on is. And if you really think about it, they're very blatant clues. The problem is, is that you're not caring about the clues. You're too busy following the storylines <laughs> and the character drama going on in the middle of it. Very because if you pay attention to what's actually being said, it's going to be blatantly obvious where this is going. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of the fun of it is the fact that it did come to me as a genuine surprise. Yes, to me too. Even, even on the third listen, I still wasn't picking up on the clues. <laughs> and I think that's something that makes it absolutely great. I, I've read some of Guy Adams' stuff. He's done a couple of fairly good Sherlock Holmes books uh, as part of Titan Books' uh, Further Adventures of Sherlock Holmes Ranch, which I highly recommend if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan. But it, I'm very impressed with his writing in this and the fact that he managed, and also the, the entire post-production for that matter, and I can't imagine what this must have been like to act for that matter. Oh, my gosh, yes. What did their scripts look like? Yeah, because I know when they did Creatures of Beauty, which is the, the fifth Doctor Nissa story, which I don't know if you've heard that, Mary, but it's very much told out of sequence as well. Mm-hmm. I know when they recorded that story 10 years ago or more that they actually recorded the entire thing in sequence so that the actors could do it. There's not. I, I can't imagine there was a way to do that with this. Right, yeah, because... It would be too broken up even in sequence. Mm. Um, the only thing that, that rang false for me, and it is kind of the same thing that happened back in Love and War, uh, was how quickly Bernice and Clinus fall in love. You know, it's a matter of minutes and they're in love. Um, and I remember back in Love and War when um, Ace fell in love with the, the, the man in that story. Yeah. It just happened so quick that I had a hard time accepting it. And so Bernice is in incredible grief when what happens to um, the man that she loves what was hard for me to accept. I think I found it easier to accept because I was aware of the fact they were making messages to each other, leaving the messages for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that it was potentially one of those things that in the process of doing that, when you tell yourself something, you tend to believe it. Or at least that seems to be the cliche of this kind of thing. You know, if you go back and you think about we're, you know, stuff in Doctor Who, whatever else. Somebody leaves a message for themselves. There's an episode of Stargate Atlantis where it does a similar thing where uh, the Rodney McKay character wakes up to a message from himself, not quite understanding what the message is about, but he follows it because he's like, because it's him telling him to do something, if that makes sense. 
And I think maybe that's kind of the case here, that being aware that they're in a relationship, that that's maybe the way it works. And also the fact that we don't know how long they're stuck here for, for that matter. That's something they actually, I think Bernice comments on maybe in the fourth one. It's the fact they could have been there weeks, they could have been there months, they don't know. So I found it a bit, I found that a bit more acceptable. It wasn't quite, I, I don't want to say I think that in Love and War it was intended to be kind of love at first sight, which is kind of hard to do on audio where you have no sight. But I, I didn't have that, I didn't have much of a problem with it, to be honest. Well, by the end of this story, the the, the key to bringing them out of this time loop is uh, is found. Yes. And then they can move on to, well, uh, there again, then they discover where they are. Yes. And that takes us on to the next story. Indeed, which is the fourth, final, and certainly the big climax of this box set, The Lights of Scarrow by James Goss, which, if you are a classic series fan, if you are a classic series Dalek fan, <laughs> which I am both, mm -hmm. I am just going to come right out and admit it. I've had a lot of times listening to this where I was just sitting there in my car going, yes! <laughs> uh, because it is, to a certain extent, a sort of almost a, a Dalek's greatest hits album because of what has happened on Scarrow when everybody gets there. Bernice, in particular, ends up walking through different points in Dalek history. And it's a wonderful way of getting to live through or relive moments from a lot of those classic stories from the old series. You get stuff from Remembrance of the Daleks, um, the very first Dalek story from 63-64, the Dalek Civil War from Evil of the Daleks. There's references to Genesis as well. There's, there's a reference to something else, or what seems to be a reference to something else, which I still cannot place for the life of me about a quarter midway through it, which I, to this day, I still, you know, having sat here for almost 24 hours, I still can't figure out what it was a reference to, if it was a reference to anything. Mm -hmm. But I will say that if you like your Daleks, which I do, this is the story, I think, along with Revolution, that really makes the box set worthwhile. If only to hear Nicholas Briggs do every Dalek <laughs> voice under the sun. <laughs> Yeah, he was acting his Dalek socks off in this story. <laughs> I mean, he was doing, I mean, because something that people have often talked about, is that if you watch the old series, or if you listen to it, because a lot of the stories are missing, the Dalek voices will often change from story to story, mm -hmm. or episode to episode. Mm -hmm. And bless his cotton socks, Nicholas Briggs pulls it off wonderfully. Oh, he does. He uses every era of Dalek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every era from the classic series is represented here. Not only is it represented, but they get the sound effects in the background, the various Dalek noises, the yeah. that uh 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 control room noise, the background noises from that very first Dalek story from sixty three sixty four. Not only that, but as we've been talking about, Briggs does the voices and he does them authentically. Yes. You can tell just from his voice. <laughs> which era you happen to be in. Oh, absolutely. I'm, it was funny, even me, and I have not seen that much of the classics, but right away, like, oh, that's the Emperor Dalek. Yes. <laughs> to hear, and the thing is, is that I, I almost want to go dig out my CDs of Evil of the Daleks now and go play it against that sequence, <laughs> yes. just to see how close those voices really are, because it sounds 
pretty darn close, mm-hmm. if not right on. And I just and because of the fact that you have those visual references in your head, even though evil is missing, we have a lot of photographs of what the Dalek Emperor in that story looked like. Loose Cannon did a wonderful reconstruction of it, um, where they did an excellent recreation of, of that battle sequence. So you don't have a problem imagining Bernie Summerfield in this huge room with that huge Emperor Dalek and her shouting at it and it booming back at her. Yes. And it just you get that sense in the sound design as well of that vast room that she's got to find herself in, which is absolutely wonderful. But also the fact that with, you know, the Doctor has been largely absent since Revolution. He begins to kind of fade back into the story. And I think it's really interesting because it's actually a, a fascinating exploration of relationships, the wrong word, but sort of the effect that the Daleks have on the Doctor, or really even vice versa to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It's been very recently that we had Into the Dalek on TV as part of Series 8, which did a very, which had a similar thing exploring it. And the, Peter Capaldi's doctor, in fact, having a line about, you know, saying that I didn't know who I was till I came to Scarrow and I met you guys and I had to face you off. And there, the implication in that in this story is that it's it's very true the other way around as well. And it's something that seems to torment the doctor is the fact that he feels a sense of responsibility for them because of what he did so, so long ago. Mm-hmm. And it's, that is an absolutely wonderful moment for Sylvester McCoy. But I think also what's fascinating as well is that because of the temporal shenanigans that are going on in this story, it's a fascinating exploration of where the Daleks came from um, and actually what who the Kalids were before the Daleks were created, for that matter. Yeah, that whole character study of that Khaled scientist who is clueless <laughs> about what a Dalek is but you can see within her mindset where and why the Daleks came about like they did. And just her kind of horror at the notion that this is what her people will eventually do mm-hmm. in her future. And the fact that there is literally nothing she can do about it. Right. And also the fact that we end up revealed that another character, that another character in the story is there trying to use it to his own ends, mm-hmm. which very much made me think of Curse of the Daleks. And in fact, that the actor they cast in that part sounds a bit like the character from that story. He was trying to do the same thing. Uh-huh. Uh, so much so, I had to get on the Big Finish site and check the cast list to make sure it wasn't actually the same person or even the same character, for that matter. It's not. But it was something I would not have surprised me being the case, given the way this ties back into things. And then the, the biggest surprise of all is the reveal on what got all of this started in the first place who has been behind the scenes um, and apologizing all the way through is the cause of the the time loop and all of this. Yeah. yeah. That the entire chain of events that you've heard over the previous four hours, essentially, is all this person's fault. <laughs> and their motive for doing it, I yeah. think, is really, really interesting. Yes, yes. And it's a fascinating little bit of character development. Once again, going back to love and war. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, I, I keep noting the irony of the fact that when this we marked this release by reviewing love and war and mm-hmm. just how much this box set goes back to that story. 
mm-hmm. in so much of its detail, so much of its character backgrounds. And I think that, you know, that's a good thing for Big Finish to have done. And I think there's, it's the sense that this is all part of one big larger universe, in a way. Which I think sometimes we lose in the process of trying to follow sometimes years worth of storylines across multiple ranges. But I think it's very clear here how much of a cohesive universe this all takes part in. But I think also that it's interesting listening to the extras on this. This is intended to a certain extent as a jumping off point for people. And I think you talked about that earlier as well, Mary. And I think actually that as a jumping on point, I think that this is a this is a good place to go in terms of this box set. If you if you like you said earlier, if you don't know much about the Bernie Summerfield character and you want somewhere to go, I think I'd still recommend Love and War first to kind of get everybody's beginnings, as it were, and mm-hmm. kind of follow the story. I don't from think it's necessary. I don't. I don't agree. I think this is just as good a starting point as any. I think Lisa Bowerman does a cracking job as Bernie Summerfield. Um, and if I had not heard Love and War, I would I would be into this. And then I might be looking back and, ooh, where, where else has Bernice shown up? And then I might listen to Love and War, yeah. which bring in even more information. And, and then I'd start looking at her CDs. Yes. But I, th- I think that we can agree that this was a very successful box set. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, One of the best things, um, along with uh, Dark Eyes, I think, that Big Finish has done. I think in terms of Big Finish's Doctor Who output, I'm a lot more impressed with this than I think I have been with most of their Doctor Who output, the stuff I've heard from their Doctor Who output this year, including Dark Eyes 2, which I found personally mm-hmm. a bit disappointing. I think you did as well when we reviewed it. Absolutely, yeah. So I think that this is far better, and I think that I'm hoping, given that the way that this ends, that this is not going to be the last encounter between the three of these mm-hmm. or the three of them. Yeah. yeah I want to hear more of, of Lisa Bowerman and Sylvester McCoy together. Yes. <laughs> they have I mean, their magic together. Yes. Now you were talking about just a second ago about uh, wanting to go back to those earlier stories. We in fact have a piece of feedback that kind of does that for us from Finos Daniels uh, in Australia, who sent us in a bit of feedback where he's been recently listening to a couple of the earlier stories featuring uh, Bernie Summerfield. And he says, Good day, Mary and Matthew. I thought that since you are reviewing the new adventures of Bernie Summerfield, I would give you my thoughts on the beginning of Bernie Summerfield. These stories are done in the old four-part Doctor Who style with dramatic endings. The series was off to a great start in Oh No It Isn't, guest starring Nicholas Courtney as Wolsey the Cat, directed by Nicholas Briggs. After a smart missile hits the ship, everyone aboard is sent to a crazy pantomime world where everyone except Bernice is someone else. Anyone else would think that they had gone crazy, but not our Bernice, who so nothing stops her, even when her cat starts talking and is six foot tall. It works so well because Bernice hates singing in the silliness of panto. The le- this leads to a great laughs as Bernice tries to solve what has happened and how to sort things out all the while keeping away from the grill. My rating, an 8 out of 10. For Lisa Bowerman's next outing as Bernice, Big Finish went again to the Doctor Who past and brought in Sophie Aldred and Annika Wills as guest stars and Stephen Fuel as Jason Kane, directed by Gary Russell. This story introduces Jason Kane as Bernice's ex-husband and generally the guy who needs rescuing. That kind of sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. After Jason's dealing with the Sunless goes wrong, it's Bernice to the rescue. Benny must stop the Sunless getting their hands on a weapon of mass destruction 
and of course rescue Jason while finding a way back. Six out of ten. Somewhere in Saul and Bernice, Lisa Bowerman has a strong voice and plays the downtrodden Bernice well. She gives the impression of a woman who's been there, done that, and been chewed up and spat out along the way. One tough lady. Of the few that I listen to, Bernice is sarcastic of everything and mostly proving right. She has an interesting life, as the Chinese would say. Still listening to the podcast and enjoying your different take. Thanks a lot. All the best, Dino. Oh, thank you, Dino. Yeah, it's nice to hear about her earlier adventures because I've never listened to them. I've heard um, what they call the Time Ring Trilogy, which I think were stories three, four, and five that they did, which I think was uh, Walking to Babylon, which had uh, Elizabeth Slayton in it playing a um, character in ancient, I think in ancient uh, Mesopotamia. Um, the second one called Birthright, which um, actually had Colin Baker in it, not playing the Doctor, of course. And uh, Just War, which I still, which is I think one of Big Finish's best early releases. And those are only available on CD, and all three are adapted from New Adventures novels. Uh, Walking to Babylon was a uh, Bernice-focused New Adventure book after they lost the Doctor Who license. But interestingly enough, Birthright and Just War were both originally Seventh Doctor Virgin New Adventures that Big Finish adapted by taking the Seventh Doctor out of them, which sometimes leads to some interesting results. But actually, the stories are very cohesive. Just War is also worth listening to to hear Mark Gatiss play a wonderfully sinister uh, German military officer. So, might be something we have to go review at some point, Mary, since you haven't heard them. Right. Yeah, I'm interested now. Uh, So, put that down on the to-do list. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And as always, if you have any feedback on anything Big Finish Big Finish or Doctor Who on audio related, please send it in to us at feedback.vortex at yahoo.com. We always welcome suggestions as well, as you could probably have just guessed from that, because I have a feeling there's probably going to be somewhere on our 2015 agenda now. So I think that just about wraps things up for this episode. What do yeah. you think, Mary? Well, that, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but you promised to say why the Last episode is a little late coming out. I did, didn't I? Well, um, this actually has nothing really to do with Doctor Who on audio, but it is a project which is immensely exciting. A gentleman named Declan May is putting together a anthology of War Doctor short stories. The War Doctor, of course, was the Time War Doctor for we were introduced to originally in the tail end of Name of the Doctor and was played by John Hurt both there and in the Day of the Doctor, the 50th anniversary special. And as it happens, I've been commissioned to write one of the stories for it. Sounds good for you. Yes. So, um, unfortunately, due to having to make the deadline for that, uh, I'm afraid I may have put the editing on the Survivors episode aside for a bit. Uh, So apologies to you for anybody for that. But as well as having me in the book, there's going to be a whole list of authors contributing to it who you may have heard of. People like, oh, Gary Russell, who used to be big at Big Finish. Uh, Andrew Smith, who wrote Full Circle for the Tom Baker era and has written several Big Finish audios, including The Invasion of E-Space, The First Sontarans, and The Dominion of the Board, which has just come out as part of the early Avengers range. Uh, Jenny Culligan, who wrote the 11th Doctor novel Dark Horizon. Um, John Peel, who wrote some of the novels during the Wilderness Years. Lance Parkin, who also has written uh, Wilderness Era novels and also wrote Big Finish audios like Davros and uh, Primeval. And there's more names to be announced, so and it's all going uh, to raise money for a charity in the UK that helps out with disabled children. So, more details on that as it comes. So, you, the, while we are an audio podcast, I do kind of feel responsible, partly because I am in the book to help promote this. So, feel free to turn off and tell me to shut up at any time. 
but we hope, but I sincerely hope that not just because I have a story in it, but because the money is going for a good cause, um, that you guys might want to check out the book, and we'll list a website for you guys to go find it at when we get the opportunity. So, we hope you'll join us next time when we make our first foray into non-Big Finish Doctor Who territory as Twilight Falls and Death Comes to Time. So, until next time, I guess it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Take care.